Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, here we are. Thank you for tuning in. It's Josh Carey, host of The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am here with Erin Halper, who is the founder and CEO of The Upside. We just spent a good deal chatting before we hit record, and uh, we're ready to go on this conversation. So much good I know is going to come out of this. Uh, How's it going, Erin? Couldn't be better. I really appreciate hearing that. So you are the founder and CEO, like I said, of The Upside. When you hear that name, for me at least, it just resonates. Whether I'm consciously and, and, and deliberately aware of what that means, I'd love to hear your take on exactly what that phrase means, The Upside. What are we really going with there? Well, that was the whole point. I wanted you to think that, and I wanted you to feel that. That name did not come out of thin air, I can tell you. I worked in the private equity space almost my entire career before becoming an entrepreneur. And when we spoke about different deal opportunities, we'd, you know, we'd talk about, you know, what's the upside of the deal? What's the upside of the investment? And the upside is always a positive, positive word. There's no negatives of upside. And so when I wanted people to, to, what I wanted people to feel when they heard the name was positivity and being uplifted and seeing the good in change or in investment in themselves. Really well done. Obviously, it's so funny that I said I have that feeling when I hear it. And look at that, no accident. So you take a lot of, sounds like, as an entrepreneur, deliberate action to get an end result that you are aware of right? You know what I'm saying. So talk about that a little bit, because I think a lot of us sometimes don't. We just, we just think we know what we want, or we try something without not being intentional about it. Listen, there's two schools of thoughts. And I've, and I've, heard, I've heard people talk about the opposite with a lot of conviction. And maybe that does work for some people, you know, that you shouldn't have a plan. You should just take one step at a time, see where it leads you. So look, I'm a planner. I like to have a plan of action. I like to have a blueprint. I like to know what I'm doing or at least know where I'm heading. And so everything I do in my business is with that value system. And everything I teach is with that value system of having 
a proven step-by-step action plan or blueprint. It doesn't, you don't have to stick to it. Just like I've pivoted in my business. It's not what I'm doing today. The business model as it looks today is not exactly how it was when I first started. And it's not, it does not look hardly anything like what I thought it would when I first started, but you have to have something to work towards and you have to have an end goal and be flexible about different roads that may lead you to different spots, but at least have some sort of plan of action. The idea behind the upside, as you say, it's a collective that helps consultants advance their business and thrive. What, what are we talking about when we say consultants and why that avatar for you? Well, why that avatar is because that's what I did for, for seven years before starting this business. I was, I, I, I was newly married, pregnant with my first son, and at 20 weeks at the ultrasound, I found out that there's a problem with the baby. He's perfectly healthy now. He just turned nine. He's amazing. But it took two heart surgeries to get him to this place today. What? And as, as I'm sitting there, you know, I have this, this high level private equ- real estate, private equity job. And I'm like, how am I going to manage all these doctor's appointments? And uh, like, it was hard enough just being pregnant. Now I've got all these extra doctor's appointments. He's going to have surgeries. This is, there's no way I can maintain a full-time career, but I loved my career and I loved where I worked and I love the people I worked with. I didn't want to stop working. Um, so I went out on my own as a consultant which I didn't know any better. I didn't know other people who were doing it. I just did it. And because I didn't know any better and I didn't know any different, it wasn't that hard. And of course I had some stumbles and I learned. And as I had my second child and I, I moved twice, I buried a parent, all of these life changes required a lot of flexibility. And I was so grateful that I had that flexibility. And all of a sudden my peers and colleagues and other professionals surrounding me were saying, how did you do that? How did you, I want to do that. I love my career too. And I'm, and I'm so good at what I do. How do I break out on my own as a consultant so I can build my own thing and be my own boss and control my own schedule and not have to just do that corporate nine to five grind every single day and not be able to see my kids at night or in the morning, or feel rushed, or stretched thin, or just juggling everything all the time. And as I informally advised dozens and dozens of people of how to do it, how I did it, and how to do it the right way, I realized, I I think I have a business here, and I think it's time to start a company that truly helps people have this type of business and this type of lifestyle. What you just went through uh, detailing, least of which two heart surgeries from your first child, I follow the stoic philosophy that really, quote unquote, prepares you for anything that comes your way and really wants you to get into a frame of mind of acceptance of all situations uh, taking something like that scenario, how how did you process it in real time and then coming out so successful today? I mean, just gratitude. I've been practicing gratitude 
for almost my whole life. It, I stumbled upon that philosophy um, accidentally. And it, it was a way, as a child, I had trouble falling asleep at night. And someone along the way had said, well, say, well I, I come from a, a Southern background. So people are very religious where I'm from. Everyone goes to church, yet I'm Jewish. And some of my friends said, oh, well, why don't you say prayers at night? And I had no idea what that meant. So in my little like eight-year-old, nine-year-old head, I would say, dear God, you know, thank you for, the, thank you for, and I would just start listing all the things I was thankful for. And I kept doing that my whole life because it really helped calm my brain and helped me fall asleep. That was the only reason why I did it. But then I just, it just became a pattern. And when you practice gratitude over decades, it's amazing how your mindset just constantly stays in that framework. Um, so I was grateful for being pregnant. I know not everyone has that privilege. I was grateful to be having a son. I was grateful to be having any baby whatsoever. And I was grateful that I could even have him because there was a mm. two week period of testing where we weren't sure we were even going to be able to have that baby anymore. Um, because, you know, not to get into the, all the medical stuff, but his particular heart shape and problem was indicative of some unlivable diseases mm. and conditions. And we had to rule those out and it was just heartbreaking. Um, anyway, so we were grateful. Listen, when we found out it was just a heart problem, my husband and I went to Il Molino that night and celebrated. And we ran into another couple who was pregnant. They were like, oh my God, you guys are here too. When are you due? Da, 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 da. And we're like, we're here celebrating. And we really realized that we shouldn't have said that because it was out of context. They didn't understand what we were talking about. And they're like, what are you celebrating? We're like, it's just a heart problem. And they were like, what? <laughs> what are you? They're like, you're celebrating that your son has a heart problem that's going to require surgeries. We're like, yes, because we get to have him and mm. he gets to be alive. And they think that he's going to be fine after all these surgeries. And guess what? He is fine. So being grateful and having gratitude for what you do have is to me a big key to not only being successful, but enjoying the success and enjoying the journey. Because as you know, entrepreneurship is not all what you see on podcast, hear on podcasts and see in magazines and articles. Everybody fails along the way. Everyone stumbles. Everyone has really hard days, really hard weeks but being continuing to be grateful is, is something that keeps you, keeps you going every day. Hmm. And I know one of your more popular articles that you've written is all about failure. And I talk a lot about that too. And I know that sometimes it's a, it, it's, it's hard for some people to grasp, especially when you're in the thick of it. Talk to me about that article. Listen, I, I, any, I don't know one entrepreneur, if you, if you sat them down and had a real heart-to-heart -heart conversation, I don't know one person that would say, yeah, you know, I just started my first venture ever, and it is such a huge success the first time around. Unbelievable, right? Never have I ever heard those words come out of anyone's mouth because it's not true. You can't be successful in entrepreneurship unless you've had some failures along the way. It's, it's almost impossible. And 
I just wrote it from the heart, honestly, because I had nothing else to write about and I needed to put out some weekly content. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just talk about all the failures I've had over the years because the upside is a success and it's amazing. It, it, it truly is my greatest business success, but there were many stumbles along the way that led to launching the upside. And I could go over um, any and every one that you want me to, but I can tell you even the upside itself was a failure at one point because I started this company thinking it was going to grow into a client consultant matching platform. I wanted to be like a talent agency or like a boutique, like a headhunter for consultants type business because I knew all this amazing talent out there. And I just thought, well, if companies just knew that they existed, they wouldn't be able to resist hiring these amazing people. And I'm great at business development and getting clients. So I'll do all the heavy lifting. All they have to do is show up and work. And that worked for a while until I realized you can't build a thriving consultancy if you don't know how to get and close your own clients. You're just a bit-by-bit freelancer. You're, that's what separates business owners from employees. That's why not everybody at an ad agency goes out and starts their own agency. Owners of an ad ag- agency, they're great at business development. They're great at getting clients. That's what separates owners from employees. So I said, well, I've got to figure out how to teach all these people how to actually build a business instead of just cherry picking different projects. Because then they'd finish the projects and come back to me and go, okay, what else do you have for me? And I was like, oh my God, they don't know how to get their own clients. They'll never have a business. And so I reformatted the whole business. I pivoted the strategy and created what it is today, which is a community model of consultants. And as a community, we provide online events and resources and networking that truly helps them grow a real business where they have a continued pipeline of clients instead of these bit by bit, once and done little projects that nobody wants. You can't grow a business that way. So even the upside was a failure at one point, but I refused to give up and I pivoted it and turned it into what it was, what it is today, and never looked back. What's amazing about that story is even in that context, hearing you say even the upside was a failure in the beginning, it just, I, I know what you mean. And sure, if we have to categorize it somewhere, sure, failure maybe, but that doesn't feel right. It feels like you set out something uh, and went one direction, realized that, no, that's not actually the best or where I want to take it or where this needs to go. And you adjusted as necessary. But, you know, we do say, oh, that was a failure, you know? I do know, but, and that's a nice way of putting it. And of course, that's how I spun it at the time. But in my heart, I felt like I was failing. Mm. In my heart, in my mind, I woke up every day feeling like I was on a hamster wheel and that I was failing the people that I set out to help, that I was failing, you know, that the numbers weren't adding up at that point. You know, it was, even I was like closing a bit thing here, a job here, income there. It was all like very patchy. And I I just said, this is, I, I felt like it was failing. I felt like I could not continue on that path. And, um, 
therefore I made big changes. So yes, you can look at it different ways. I felt like it was failing. Yeah. And the idea as an entrepreneur, we all know, we see, we see the memes out there. We see the end results. We hear every successful person talking about it is that it is, it's only a failure if you don't learn from it. And it's all part of the success. Speaking personally for a minute with our PodMax event, which, you know, is this, what started as a, it started in person event. Now we had to when that rug got pulled out from under us, we had to see if this would work virtually. And lo and behold, it works miraculously virtually. So it started as this one day event where we bring in entrepreneurs to record as a guest on three top shows relevant to their industry over the course of this one day. So each hour they're rotating into a different uh, studio, in this case, virtual studio. And then in between the mics, we have uh, workshops, keynotes and networking. So it's a really great eight hour day that works. So in the beginning, we thought that, hey, we're here, we're gonna get you on shows, which was great and an effective and efficient way to get your message out. But then we realized, hey, wait a minute, we are attracting people who see the opportunity and really want to get on shows, but they either have never been on shows or they haven't been on enough and they could use our help. So we're like, wait a minute, if we continue down this way, we're missing this big opportunity. And we started realizing that we are not just this one day event company. We're, we're a bigger, we have the opportunity, which now we are, we help them train and master the mic in every way to identify their message, to communicate their message, to practice and rehearse their message, to prepare them for this one day and then beyond. So I think part of the idea of being a good entrepreneur is being able to see what you're doing, what's working, and what's not working. That is it's so funny because hearing you tell that story, that is exactly, maybe I didn't tell it exactly that way, but that, that is exactly line by line the process that I went through with the upside. I was like, I was like, wait a second here. There's all these people, they want corporate clients. They want to be out on their own as consultants, but they need the training. They need the tools they need connections. They need to learn how to do it the right way. I would look at people's LinkedIn profiles and I'm like, this reads like an employee resume. This, is, this isn't a business owner. This isn't a consultant. You don't know how to speak about your value. You don't know how to convert your skills into value, into results, to ROI. You, you need to learn these tips. And because they came so naturally to me accidentally, I didn't think that was something people needed to learn. I just thought, I don't know, because it came normal, not naturally to me. I thought this is stuff everybody knows. And what I realized is that nobody seems to know this stuff. And um, once I started seeing major six-figure results from my advice, I realized, yep, this is, this is where we have to go in order to, in order to train and teach and lead people into this business model. This is, this is the way we're going to do it. I love how you compared that and saw the connection there, line by line, word for word, exactly. Um, do you, today, you seem like a very well-adjusted entrepreneur, all the confidence and humility necessary and needed over the past 5, 10, 15 years. Was that always there? 
confidence and humility? Sure. I would say confidence, yes. Humility, no. I think I always had confidence. I worked in a pretty hardcore field um, from the early days of, of my career. So I didn't really know any different, but to work, you know, it was a very cutthroat, very high level business, you know, private equity, real estate, private equity, hedge funds. And so I was trained by a great group of people. I was surrounded by great colleagues. So I always had a lot of confidence, but the humility came when I realized that authenticity is authenticity, I think is one of the most important values to have when, when being an entrepreneur and without authenticity, without humility, we're just, yeah, we're just talking heads. We're just a face on a picture, but I want people to know my story. I want people to know my struggles. I want people to know that if I can do it, they can do it too. I'm not special. There's nothing special. I don't have any special skills or any special background that makes me prime to be successful, not only as a consultant when I was consulting, but also as an entrepreneur. I just had the drive and desire to do it above all else. How, no yeah, how are you currently marketing or attracting your ideal into your world? How long is this podcast? Do we have like four hours to talk about this? <laughs> well, for, first of all, it's a big market. There's a lot of people who want to consult. There's right. a lot of people who are sitting in their corporate nine to five jobs and saying, I want to work, but there's got to be a better way. And then there's a lot of early stage consultants and mid-stage consultants who are saying, okay, I've got some traction. I know what I'm doing, but I know I could be doing it better. I'm hustling too hard for clients. I never know where my next you know, contract is coming from. I'm pretty sure I'm not charging enough money, but I don't know how to charge more. I'm getting a lot of ghosting. I'm getting a lot of no's. Mm. I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't know what to change. You know, they're stuck. There's some sort of clog in the pipe. Um, and that happens even with people who've been doing it for 12, 15 years. Just because you've been doing it a long time doesn't mean you're an expert at it. So um, as far as attracting, there's a lot of people who fit that mold. So there's just a volume of people, even though they are highly targeted. But listen, even just being, even being on podcasts like yours, Josh, it's it's getting the word out, telling the story. It's writing consistent content. Even if I get crickets, you know, I, I post something every day. I, I try really hard to post on LinkedIn once a week, at least. I try to write an article or some sort of blog post at least once a week. That consistency and people can, people can see my passion about this topic because all I do is talk and write about it. And that's exactly what I want. And I think that that draws in a very smart, savvy professional. And mm. those are the people I'm trying to attract. I love that you brought up the one of the issues of your ideal client there that they struggle with how to charge more. And I'm sure that that's all about self-worth, right? And self-value, 
I'm sure this is also how much time do we have, but how do we begin? I, I love that because I, I've been there. I spent so long in that not valuing my own time and undercharging. How do you either personally and or through the consultants in your collective, how do you approach this topic? It's funny you say that because I have an entire video module in my upcoming course just on this topic because it is so important. And this is not coachy. This is not woo. This is not you're so awesome. This is a real tangible skill, believe it or not. It's not knowing your worth is a skill. That is not like yoga, meditation, tell yourself, you know, you can do it in the mirror. This is a skill that you have to master. Tell me more. I will tell you more. Yes, I know you will. Knowing your worth, first of all, you have to understand what market rates are. If you don't understand what the market commands for what you can do, then there's no way to know your worth on paper. Because, for example, I have a friend who is very, very high up at a global bank, um, a global investment bank, and you know, they have tens of thousands of employees. And I said to her, I was like, tell me what you pay for the minimum price that you tend to pay for a speaker to come in and do a workshop. She's like, oh, the lowest we've ever paid is like 5,000 for an hour. Most people would think $5,000 for yeah, an hour I'll, I'll of my take time. It. Right, right. I can't get that. That's impossible. But yet this is the minimum of what a lot of these companies expect to pay. Yes. And some of them might say, well, we just don't have the budget. Da, 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 da. Standing firm, no discount, knowing your value and knowing the best tool you can bring to the table when, when understanding your value is really having a, a total understanding of the ROI that you bring to the company. That's what it is. Go. Yes. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. If anyone's listening to this and they've heard me speak before, you know that I'm a big proponent of what we call the four value, the four pillars of value. So I've come up with four pillars of value that from my experience, every single consultant has one or more of these pillars and brings one or more to the table. And no matter what you say you do for a client or think you can do, it comes down to one or more of these four pillars. Number one, you help companies grow revenue. Number two, you help companies create efficiencies and save money. Number three, 
You provide companies with access to something that you have that they want. And number four, you solve an urgent headache. Everything comes down to those four pillars of value. And you can throw any job at me, any skill at me, and I'll tell you which one, which one, which pillars match with that particular skill. Everyone focuses on the task at hand. I'm a marketing and branding consultant. Eh. No, that's just the task. You provide marketing and branding. That's the vehicle that gets your clients to growing revenue. You are a revenue growth consultant. You have to peel back the layers. And when you peel back those layers and truly understand not only the value, but the financial results, the ROI of what you bring to the table and own that, that will open up your mind. It'll open up everything for you because once that clicks and here's the problem is in, in the corporate world, they, they don't want us thinking we're so special. Companies don't want you thinking you're special. If you think you're special, you're going to ask for a lot of money. They have done a very good job of keeping you thinking that you should be grateful for the opportunity. The words grateful for the opportunity should never, ever be part of your conversation. And it should never, you should just like exit out of your mind forever. But companies want you to feel grateful for the opportunity. You're lucky to have this job in this economy. You're, you know, you, you know, maybe you'll get a promotion, but you'll got it. You got to wait till December to find out, you know, they do all these things to keep us down, keep us mm. in a box. And so, you know, a, a lot of professionals leave corporate going, they say things like, I helped do this. I was responsible for blah, blah, blah. That, that doesn't sound like you're owning those results. You know what sounds like you're owning results? I led, I directed, I was pivotal in. That's owning the results. We know you didn't do it by yourself. It is implied. We know there was a team. We know you had a boss. We know that you had underlings. We know you didn't do it all by yourself. It's implied. But owning your stake in those results is one of the things that sets very successful consultants apart from those who struggle. What I'm hearing is, because again, I lived not this specific, I didn't spend any time in corporate, but for myself, um, I, I struggled with a lot of these voices of self-worth and I'm not capable, although I, you know, my story is I always knew I was capable, I just hid it from the world because I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want you feeling insecure. If I showed up powerfully and doing something magnificent that might shine a light on your ability and you wouldn't like that and you might retaliate. But I always feel looking back on how I got out of it, that mindset played a whole thing. Is that what we're talking about here? It's not just mindset. That's one piece of it, but also just knowing and owning and truly believing because it's true that you had a pivotal role in the past successes of your department and your company in your whole career. It, it's, 
they don't want they meaning the corporate machine they don't want you feeling that way they do a lot of different tricks to make you feel like you need them but in reality they need you they need you so yes it's mindset but it's also just understanding the reality you know, once you see it on paper once you once you understand what people are getting paid See, that's the other thing. In this country, we don't talk about rates. We don't talk about salaries. Nobody shares that information. And once you find out what other people are getting paid for some of the same work that you're doing, you, you shape up real fast. So what I'm saying is the difference between those people who charge a lot and the people who don't is knowing your worth. It's understanding that they understand the value they bring to the table because they speak in terms of results for example, if I'm, let's use something that's very, very quantitative in nature. So let's say I'm hiring a Facebook ad strategist. This is something that is very measurable. It's very contained. It's, it's numerical. It's easy to see the results. And someone says, and someone says to me, they ask me, okay, well, what, what results are you looking for out of this campaign? And I say, okay, I'm, I, I want to get, you know, I'd like to get, 5,000 people on my email list through this Facebook campaign. Okay, so what would that mean in terms of numbers and, and revenue? Well, if, you know, conversion rate was 2,000, da, 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 this would equate to like an extra 80 grand in revenue for that quarter. Okay. So then when they come back to me and say, that'll cost $5,000, I'm like, okay, $5,000 to get to $80,000 is a drop in the bucket but most Facebook ad strategists are charging $1,000 for that service because they're not connecting their fees and rates to the client's end result. Either they're not confident enough that they're gonna get them there or whatever the case may be. That's just a small example because it's something that's so measurable. Where people get really hung up is it functions where it's less easy to connect their function with the ROI. But at the end of the day, nobody, look, somebody came up with, I mean, we're, we're children of the seventies and eighties. We remember these, yeah, remember post-its, remember, um, you know, I remember when all this stuff came out. I can assure you the person who actually invented post-its for 3M is not a gazillionaire. He was an employee of 3M. Or, you know, I'm just making up examples. Or the person who came up with the slogan, just do it. That was an ad exec that got paid a salary for working at an ad agency. What do you think the value of just do it is? What do you think the brand value, what do you think the value is in the billions? Just do it, billions. Billions. It's on, it's for, for two decades. It's on t-shirts. It's on everything. And yet that it was an idea that was invented by someone who worked at an ad agency. So who got paid a salary? That yeah. person, you know, they may not have made the money. They may not have been a billionaire off of coming up with just do it. But I sure hope that that person owns 
that idea. And if they were to go out on their own as a consultant today and say, I was the person who came up with just do it. And you're going to pay me $300,000 for a three month project to come up with your strategy. It would be absolutely mm -hmm. like no questions asked. They're going to get that job for that rate because they're owning that success, even though they didn't necessarily get the credit. Owning those ideas and owning your track record is very, very important. Do you, on the same front, do you work with consultants who have to get over this hurdle that they do something that they're aware others are also doing and they immediately say, well, I guess I have to lower my price and you know try to win on that how do you address that and how do you how do you help the the consultant with a personal brand right because isn't that where they might be able to win more i mean lowering the price is not guaranteed for a win by any stretch but how do you balance that well you should if you're at the point where first of all no one does anything original so there's always someone that does something does what you do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we'll just get that out there, but no one is you. And that is your superpower. What lowering a price does not get you a client. A lot of times it does the opposite. It actually scares the client off. You should never discount your rates. Never, never, never. Not, not like that. Um, you can do other things like create bite-sized versions of what you do, like a day rate, for example, but, but lowering your rate is, is never, ever the right answer, especially, especially because somebody else does what you do or they're talking to other people. The, the, the big difference in winning clients in those situations is being able to, to, being able to control the client conversation in a way that uncovers the actual problem that needs to be solved, not just what the client says needs to be solved, but really being good at peeling back the layers for the client and getting on the same page about what is the actual problem that you're bringing me in for. Again, getting back to those four pillars, what is the actual problem? What is the sense of urgency? And what are your concerns? Like what, what you know, I, people don't want to ask that question. What are your concerns? And these are things that be, be, there is a right way and a wrong way to go about a client meeting. A lot of people think they're pitching. You know, we hear client pitches. That means you're selling yourself the whole time. You shouldn't be selling yourself at all. Mm. You should be asking questions to uncover ex the, the problem, the sense of urgency, the true need, the true sense of value, how they value this problem in terms of dollars, that is, what, that is what that conversation is. And so instead of lowering your rates, the person who wins the deal is the person who uncovers the problem and the sense of urgency. And there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. And I teach people how to do that all the time. Uh, I want to focus on this one quote you said, lowering the price often scares the client off. I agree I would with never, that. Yeah, I would never hire someone who lowers let's their rate. Talk, let's, let, let's really unravel that. What does that even mean? Why, how and why does it scare the client off? Well, look, I'm a business owner and I hire consultants, so I can speak from my own experience. And 
no one wants to pitch me because <laughs> I'm like, all I do is sit there and analyze everything they're doing. But, but listen, I'm a good company to work for too. But when I interview consultants to work for the upside, if a consultant were to lower their rate, I would just think this person isn't confident in their ability to deliver value. I'd rather someone say, actually, Aaron, I should be charging more for what I do because of the value I bring to the table and because of the results I get for clients. That's what you should be saying. Hmm. Discounting, it's, it's like anything. It's like, I mean, look at every single, how many times have you gone shopping at a store, bought something because it was discounted and then you got it and you're like, Ugh, I never even wore that thing. I only bought it because it was on sale. You know, I didn't even really like it. Yeah. Versus you and you spent money on like, have you ever like bought a really great pair of shoes that was like just kind of out of your reach, but you just loved them so much and you're like, I'm just gonna spend a little extra to get the nice pair of shoes and how it made you feel. Why, why would you buy their shoes? They get you from point A to point B. They cover your feet. Who cares if they're $10 or they're $500? Well, you do. And, and there is a difference to, to some people. And especially how, they, how it makes them feel. So when you're, I'm not saying you're more expensive, but when you price appropriately and your market rate and you have high value, you're making the client feel more confident that you can do the job. When I see people who are very, very cheap, I get scared. Mm. I also, I love how you said, instead of discounting, considering doing a, a day rate type thing or breaking it up into another sort of offering. Uh, what, we, what we found with with uh, PodMax is originally for the virtual version because again we had a live ticket uh, and then we don't we don't do that these days certainly so we're just doing virtual but our first virtual we had one one ticket level one price it got you the day uh, and then we realized okay this is um, people want more people expect more and we're giving more on that value so instead of just taking that one price and increasing it we realized that we have a broader opportunity here so what we did was create three ticket levels uh, you know basically small medium and large how do you want to experience the day how do you want to experience everything that that we do obviously the higher ticket gets you more personalized small group coaching and that sort of a thing so I think that that's a, a good solution too, right? Figuring, figuring what works for your business model in that front. So you don't have to lower the price, but it's offering your ideal client entrance points. And we do the, it's very smart. We do the exact same thing. And it's not a discount. It's just different prices for very different offerings per unit of time. So literally yesterday, one of my upside members emailed me and said, I took your advice and she, had, she was getting pushback. She has high rates. She was getting pushback from a potential client. And I said, offer them a bite-sized portion of what you do. Say, no problem that I, I've got a day rate. It's you know, 2,500. I'll come in just for the day and we'll, we'll get so much done just in that time frame." And she's like, I did it. And he said, yes. And so here's someone getting paid a ton 
thousands of dollars for one day of work, but for the client who couldn't invest, you know, 15 grand a month in her services, that was a huge win. So per unit of time, she actually ended up making more money per unit of time, but for the client, it was less of a heavy lift financially. So it was a true win-win. And we do the same thing in the upside. We have a quarterly membership, which is our lowest entry point. As of today, but not much longer, I still do one-on-one advisory with people, which is a higher price point. And then coming in October, we're launching a signature course for people who want start to finish that step-by-step action plan. So we do also offer three different entry points. And you get, you know, it's it's also, uh, there's a timeline. You know, you're going to get faster results with the higher price point, but that doesn't appeal to everybody. So we have multiple. And what do they say when we're talking about, I think it applies specifically to people paying versus people getting something for free. It's that people who pay, pay attention because they're investing. I wouldn't want someone who doesn't what what (laughs) right like who's not paying no i mean you have you have some free offerings and yeah you could put some 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 value out there uh, a webinar or a training course if it's free but those people who are going through it really aren't going to apply or get the results that if you're charging and somebody's paying for the experience there's two schools of thought so so there's a whole digital marketing business out there. There's lots of leaders in that business. Marie Forleo's one, mm-hmm. Amy Porterfield's one, a um, lot of leaders in that, in that type of business. And some people will say you should charge you know, $19 to go to your webinar, which then sells them into the $2,000 thing. And then some people say, like Amy Porterfield would say, no, just you give a free masterclass, you give a lot of value, but you don't give away the kitchen sink. You give them the what, but not the how. And the, you know, you'll get a two to 5% conversion rate on that to buy your higher ticket. And by the way, I bought Amy Porterfield's course, $2,000 course from her webinar. If I had not attended the webinar and felt like I got not only a lot of value from it, but I got, um, I, I felt like she her vibe was something that I could respect and someone I felt like I wanted to, her to take me through that journey. And so I invested and, but I would not have done it without the webinar, to be honest. And I'm doing the same thing, Josh, I'm, I'm putting out a webinar and it is going to be free. And you know what? I hope a lot of people, there will be people who join with no intention to buy anything else because they want as much free advice as possible. And I applaud them for investing an hour of their time to better themselves and their business. And I hope they stick around over the years and and follow us and learn and get better. But I know a certain percentage will say, you know what? I like Erin's vibe. I like her advice. And I want her to take me on this journey. I want her to be the one to get me from struggling to thriving. 
Mm. What do you teach? What, what gaps do you teach your clients to fill? Like, do you, do you put them on a path to learn sales and marketing, to learn copywriting, to learn mental stability and mindset, to learn confidence? What do you really focus on in that regard? So a lot of people in this business and some people, they group coaches and consultants or they talk about freelancers. It's all kind of the same thing. I use the word consultant because I think that's what my audience really resonates with the most people coming out of corporate manager, VP, director, and C-suite jobs. What I teach them, so, so a lot of these people in this space, they teach, they, they focus so much on sales and signing the contract and sales, 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 sales. And that is a huge piece of this business, but there's so much more under the hood. The sales, that's, that's, the, that's the wallpaper and the curtains and you know, the paint, but what about the pipes? You know, I don't know about you, but it, it, it costs a lot of money to fix the pipes in my house. And I want them to be done the right way. So I teach people about the engine and the pipes and the guts of the business because it's not just sales. You can sell like you know, Tony Robbins, but at the end of the day, if someone goes to your Facebook, uh, your LinkedIn page or your website and it doesn't read the way what, what they're really looking for, you, know, you have to understand what are clients looking for when they go to your LinkedIn page? And am I writing in a way, did I create a LinkedIn page that speaks to exactly what my clients are looking for? Do I have an offering that is not only maximizing my highest value, but speaking to what clients are actually looking for? Am I packaging myself right? Am I, am I positioning myself? Am I positioning myself as an expert? Or do I just look like a former employee, employee of a bunch of companies? Am I speaking about myself as a leader and an expert? These are the found, this is all foundation work. This has to be done before you can ever go out and sell. Then of course there's pricing. So I teach people all about, it's not, and it's not just everyone thinks it's an hourly rate. There are seven or eight pricing structures that I go over and talk about when you want to use what pricing structures and what situations and when it works for certain situations and when you don't want to use it. Wow. And by the way, not only the pricing structures, here's the pricing formula of how you're going to get to that final rate. Huh. There are so many tricks of the trade. Another example, people ask me all the time, do you have a template for a pitch deck? And now that seems like a, a pretty normal question to ask. And that seems like who wouldn't have a pitch deck? Well, guess what? I teach people not to have a pitch deck. Don't have a pitch deck. What? Why wouldn't you have a pitch deck? Well, let me tell you why. Because you're way too busy with so many clients. You have such a pipeline of demand that you've just never gotten around to creating one. That's why. Hmm. There's a psychology of how clients think. If you can get in the mind, into the mind of a client, um, you, you will master the art of consulting because can, people think that being a good consultant and being successful means being awesome at what you do. And it really isn't about that. It's, of course, you have to be good at what you do. You have to perform. That's basic. You have to be great at 
understanding how a client thinks. You have to master the client meeting, not the pitch. There's no pitch. It's a client meeting. It's a, it's a, it's asking questions, knowing what questions to ask that not only get you the answers you need to really give them the right pricing and the right proposal, but to get the client thinking, Oh my gosh, like this is the person like, they're asking me, it's like dating. Who wants to go on a date with someone that talks about themselves the whole time? I know I don't. I want to go on a date with someone who asks me a lot of questions that make me, makes me feel heard. It's the same with a client. And boundaries. I mean, there's just so much I teach people. I mean, there's, there's a step, it's a step-by-step action plan. Most people, they say, where do I even begin? I hear that all the time. Where do I even begin? And even for people who are experienced in consulting, they still know they need to go back and strengthen their entire business plan and they know they need to level up. So that, mm-hmm. that is what this course teaches. It, it, it's not just sales. It's right. everything that leads up to the sale and everything that comes after the sale. Boundaries, client boundaries, scope of work, scope creep, and even all the boring op stuff that nobody wants to deal with. How do, you know, what, what do I use to track my time? Invoicing systems you know, credit card processing. Do I, how do I invoice? Do What systems do I use to, how do I automate all of this? All of that is covered. Mm, I love that you brought up boundaries. Uh, we'll have to save that for part two, because I know that that's a whole other master class, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, I, I, we can, I, I will say, I, I like to give the analogy for people who have dogs, or for people who have kids, they will understand this. If you have kids, you understand they thrive with structure. They thrive. Kids do not like when there are no boundaries and there are no rules. They get out of control. They start misbehaving. They, they lose their self-worth. They do better with stricter parents. They tend to flourish in a stricter, more structured environment. It's why school has its, you know, school is like that. When you think about the best teachers you ever had back in the day, they were the teachers that were probably the most demanding and the most strict. The teachers that just let us throw paper airplanes were terrible. So clients are like kids in that way. They need structure in order to thrive. Same with a dog. If you have a dog, anyone out there with a dog, you know that your dog likes to be in the crate. The dog wants to be in the crate. The dog feels safe in the crate. He likes that boundary, those constraints, because it helps him feel like he knows what's expected of him and he knows where to go when, when he has questions or when he doesn't feel safe. That is how a client is. The second you let a client cross over your boundaries, scope creep, say, oh, I, I, I threw this bone in for you, like I did this extra for you, it will always be expected. It's like if I give my kids candy on a Monday night, because we don't usually do that, if I do it once, they're going to go, there was that one time that mommy let us have candy on a Monday night, and so there's a chance she'll do it again, and I expect her to do it again. Clients are the same way. Wow, this this conversation has been tremendous, really, really incredible, really valuable. Uh, where can the listener follow up with you and keep this conversation going, Erin? 
Well, our website is bethepside.com. So it's bethepside.com. And anything and everything we do is on that site. We have a million testimonials, all glowing, of course. We have a lot of awesome free downloads to really help jumpstart everybody and, and, and give them as much value as possible that I can for free. And, and, and everything that we do is there. Uh, we also have a pretty active Instagram account. It's also Be The Upside. So follow us there. Go to the website. Download some of our free guides. And I hope everybody finds tons of success in this space. This has been extraordinary. I scribbled so many notes. I feel like there's just so much to reflect on and to take away. I hope you as the listener also feel the same. I'm always all ears. I want to thank you tremendously, Erin, for, for showing up, for opening up and sharing all this amazing stuff with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I love sharing this story and you were a great interviewer, Josh. I appreciate that. And I appreciate everybody tuning in spending and investing and sharing your time with us for this moment. Really great to have you tuning in. If you enjoyed it, tell a friend. We're going to have another episode not too far behind. Until we do, as always, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.